We've been in a series on Moses. We've been looking at the Exodus. And ever since we knew that we were going to be doing this series, Pastor Brian threw this out. Several of us began to, to study and kind of look at some of the different things that we could be talking about. And I read a verse early on in the book of Hebrews. One of the things I love to do with, with Old Testament characters, particularly those great heroes of the faith, is flip to the book of Hebrews and see if they're in what so many have referred to as that faith chapter, that hall of faith chapter. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. And you find all kinds of different things said about some of the, the great men and women of the Old Testament. And particularly as we've been looking at Moses, there is a phrase that applies to Moses that truly just captured my attention. And as the Hebrew writer is going through and, and giving all of these different things that, that Moses accomplished, truly that God accomplished through the life of Moses, we get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, and the author just makes a fascinating comment. He says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, I want to remind you that this hasn't just been uh, Hollywood glamorizing Moses over the years, that in fact, he actually had it all, that he was found in the bulrushes in a basket. He had been placed there by his mother and his sister to uh, be protected against the slaughter of the children that the Egyptian Pharaoh had, had ordered. And then he is found by a princess. There's lots of different history about this princess, why her having a baby would have meant so much to her, but he was found by her and then he was brought eventually up to be raised in the palace, in the empire, in the kingdom of Egypt, one of the premier empires in the history of the planet. They have had massive conquests. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus actually tells us that Moses was part of that conquest. In fact, that he was a general in a war that the Egyptians had versus the Ethiopians. So not only was he a prince of Egypt, but he is a military hero. There's enormous wealth to be enjoyed, dominion and power beyond the imagination, access to any desire he may have on a whim, even just with the snap of his fingers. All he had to do was sit back and enjoy it. Stephen talks about this again in Acts chapter seven, when he says, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Moses had it all in Egypt, but Moses made a decision with his life. And it's truly an amazing decision, and it's a, an amazing phrase. The writer of Hebrews says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, the writer of Hebrews says Moses, who lived roughly 1,500 years before Jesus, made choices with his life because he had Christ in view. Now, Moses makes a few comments about a coming Messiah that God would have given to him through the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And if you're in a small group, and I hope you are, you could look at those comments this week. The prophet that Moses refers to in Deuteronomy 18 are actually prophecies about the coming Messiah. But he would know nothing of future 
promises to come. He would know nothing about future glory or eternity to come, yet somehow he had Christ in view. But I want you to understand it was not just any version of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that he chose the reproach of Christ. And that's the phrase that captures my attention. The word reproach means to be disgraced. Moses did not choose the life that he chose because he had, because he had a vision for conquest. Rather, Moses decided it would be better to live his life for even a disgraced promised Messiah than to choose the comfort and riches of one of the greatest, wealthiest empires on the planet. Before the plagues, before the parting of the Red Sea, Moses chose to lose his reputation as prince and ruler and favored leader. And Moses Moses chose to live his life beyond the gates of Egypt for the sake of Christ. Moses chose to live his life beyond the gates. Now we're used to gates from a very early age, right? I mean, we're used to boundaries. And a lot of times we come into a room and, and we check out, you know, kind of where the boundaries are. Maybe you go to someone's house and you observe, you look around, you come into a room like this, you, you look around, see where everybody's at, kind of get an idea of where you want to sit. Maybe you check out where the exits are and want to know how you can get out of the parking lot the fastest, all those kinds of things. You know, we, we kind of look around and, and we look to those things. We're, we're given boundaries in, in our lives from a very early age. I mean, you don't go to a baby shower anymore without having checked the baby registry. And there's one thing that's always going to be on the registry, right? It's the baby gate. You have to have the baby gate just in case the little tyke decides to go investigate the stairs, right? And so you put the gate in front of the stairs so they don't go down the stairs. If you've got stairs that might lead up, if you have an upstairs, you put the gate there in front of the upstairs. And I don't know when the last time was you had to look at these things, buy these things, but now they're amazing. They have attachments. They have all kinds of things. If you want, for some reason, to have indoor fencing in your house, it's available to you at Walmart for only $14.98. It's amazing. Really and truly. I mean, you can put up the fencing anywhere you want in your house. You can hang a sign that says you shall not pass. And then you just let the kid just roam free in that in that little safe area. Right. Because you want to make sure they don't get beyond your view. We always have gates and borders and fences in our lives. You get a little older, you go to the playground. Now the playgrounds have fences, by the way, but they wouldn't like that when I was a kid. It was don't go past that tree over there. That's your boundary. All right. And then if you had a beach vacation with your family, you go out and, and your family turns around and says, okay, you see where our hotel is. And they point to the edges of the hotel as if there is invisible electric fencing there. And if you pass that, you've crossed into sin and you may not come back. So please be careful. Uh, that is the limit. That is as far as you can go. And then as we grow up and we get into high school or college and start to work, or we, we start a business, what are we, what are we told to do? We're told to carve out our niche, carve out your little space. What's a niche? It's a, it's a comfortable and suitable position. In other words, we're told really our whole lives, please live your life in an appropriate way, or at least in a way that's not crossing over anyone else's boundaries. And then the propensity is to apply this to every area of our lives, including faith. Live for God in an appropriate way. 
Don't ask for too much because that would be disrespectful. Don't expect too much from God because that's not how God works anymore. And certainly be careful who you associate with and on and on and on we go. But I want you to hear this morning and I want us to see from God's word that God's desire for you, for every single one of us, God's desire is that we would live beyond the gates. I mean, God is infinite and eternal. That means he's always expanding. He's almighty. That means his strength has no end. The scriptures tell us that his love and mercy and grace are everlasting, which means they just keep going and going and going. God wants you to experience as much of that as possible. God's desire for you is to live your life beyond the gates. And some of you have been trapped for a long time in what's appropriate Some of you have been trapped in a long time as this is as far as you should go in any area of your life, but particularly in your life with God. Some of you are trapped today and gates have been put up because of things that are inappropriate. You have been trapped by gates of your own making. You've been trapped by gates of addiction or obsessions or sin of any kind. And that's created shame now that's got a hold on you and that's doing a great job in trapping you. But Jesus came to set us free. And so God's desire for you is to live your life beyond the gates. And it's actually outside and beyond the gates of Jerusalem where we find Jesus on this Palm Sunday. He is two miles east of the city, as we see in Mark chapter 11, verse one. It says, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. I hope you know the story of this day of this Palm Sunday, of the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. He has been making his way up to Jerusalem for quite some time. Most recently, he's been in Jericho and he's making the journey up the the long road from Jericho to Jerusalem, all the way up the hill there, 4,000 foot elevation change. He and his disciples have been walking. And I love what some of the gospel writers describe. Some of them go back actually to a prophecy in the Old Testament. And they say that Jesus had his face set like a rock. He knew what was coming. And yet he had this steely gaze, this determined look. The, The writers of scripture say he had his face set like a flint. He's ready to go. Another one, the gospel writers points out that he is walking ahead of the disciples. You realize with everything that he knew that would be going on in the week ahead, that Jesus with incredible determination, son of God, son of man, came leading the way up the hill to Jerusalem. And as he's about two miles east of the city, east of the Mount of Olives, he says to a couple of his disciples, he says, hey, go into town. And you're going to find a a young colt or a young donkey. And I want you to untie it. And I want you to bring it to me. It's going to be clear that it's never been ridden before. Bring it to me. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just tell them that the master has need of it. And so the disciples would know. And people would recognize when they see him on this little donkey 
that he was fulfilling a prophecy that you'd find in Zechariah chapter nine. In fact, Zechariah nine, nine is exactly the place where you'd find it. Jesus would be riding up on that Eastern side of the city, headed for what we know as the golden gate, that Eastern gate and prepared to make his way into town. And it's fascinating. We have a lot of evidence of this in history now to know that there had been another parade earlier in the day. Perhaps it was going on at the same time. I think that's maybe a little bit unlikely, but we know that from the Western side of the city, from his home on the shores of the Mediterranean in Caesarea, that Governor Pontius Pilate would be coming into town on this very day from the opposite side, because it is this week that leads to Passover and pretty traditionally the governor who is responsible for keeping everyone under control and making sure that there would be no massive insurrections as every person in Israel would make their way up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So the governor wanted to be there to remind them of the power of Rome. So he would come into town. They would be holding the banners with those gold eagles out in front of him, probably riding on the back of some enormous white horse of some kind. And here is the governor saying, no matter what you think you have planned this week, Rome is still in charge. And then on the other side of town, Here's this nondescript little rabbi from Nazareth with his band of brothers and a few women. And he's riding on the back of a little animal that's never been ridden before. It was a symbol of holiness and purity in that way. And people began to grab palm fronds and throw them on the ground and maybe grab another and begin waving it. They would take their coats off their outer garments and they would lay them on the ground. What were they doing? It was symbolism. You would always do that when royalty came into town. I dare say they did not do it for Pilate on the other side of the city. But on this side of the city, the people are welcoming their king. They're acknowledging him as king. And they would begin to sing songs, quoting Psalms 118, verse 26, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Hosanna, they would shout. It means save us now. Truly understand what's going on here. This is a coronation parade. They are installing him as their king in this moment. But Jesus could not stay there. Though he would spend his days of this Passion Week teaching inside the city, he would spend each night outside of the city beyond the gates with his disciples and his friends because he was a wanted man and he wanted to make sure he was not arrested too soon because inside the gates, there was a plot. Inside the gates, there would be betrayal, denial, and ultimately, Everyone who shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday would turn their back on their king. In fact, it's Jesus who is arrested in the wee hours of Friday morning in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's been praying. He's betrayed by one of his closest followers with a kiss. And then he's convicted in an unlawful trial before the Jewish religious leaders And then they take him to stand before that Roman governor who'd ridden in from the other side of town, 
Pontius Pilate. And that's where we find him in Mark chapter 15, verse 11. The chief priests stirred up the crowd, that crowd that shouted Hosanna, to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Barabbas was a man, he was a killer. He had led other political insurrections. And Pilate again says to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? He's mocking them now. And they cry out again, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, his whole purpose for even being in Jerusalem this week is to make sure that everything stays calm. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releases Barabbas, and then they scourge Jesus and they deliver him to be crucified. They whipped him mercilessly. There were no limits for what they could do to a Jew. 39 lashes was the rule for Romans, but not for him. And so with that cat of nine tails, ripping his flesh, they whip him over and over and over again. And then what do they do? They put a robe on him and a crown of thorns. Why? Because of Palm Sunday. Because just a few days before, the people in this city had had a coronation parade. They were making him their king, and now the Romans are mocking that. In fact, Roman soldiers begin to give fake salutes, and they begin to yell at him, Hail, King of the Jews. It wasn't just that they were mocking Jesus, but they were mocking all the people who had referred to him as king. And then in Mark chapter 15, verse 20, it says this. They led him out to crucify him. He was forced to carry the beam of the cross down a, a narrow street, shops on all sides. It's called the way of suffering. It has a steady little incline to it. I've had the opportunity to walk that street. It's called the way of suffering because it was the street that everyone used who was condemned by the governor as they would head up and then out of the city. And he carried the cross until he could not carry it anymore. And then they let him out beyond the gates of the city. And it's beyond the gates of the city that there's a hill called Golgotha and Jesus is taken there and nailed with those five to seven inch Roman spikes. He's nailed to that cross. And it's on that cross that every sin, great and small, that I've ever committed, that you've ever committed, that anyone on the planet has ever committed throughout history was laid upon him, heaped upon him. Understand, out there near Golgotha, he is completely disgraced. And you see, it's the disgrace of Christ that the writer of Hebrews tells us Moses chose. It's the reproach of Christ 
that caused Moses to leave Egypt and to choose a life beyond the gates. And then this same writer in Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, he gives us the invitation to do the same thing that Moses did, to choose a life beyond the gates. Hebrews 13, verse 12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gates, beyond the gates, in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The Hebrew writer says, let's go out to him outside of the gates, outside of the camp, beyond the gates, outside the city. Let's go there and let's align ourselves with the suffering of Jesus. Let's choose to be mocked for his namesake. Let's choose to sacrifice for his namesake. Let's choose to fellowship with his sufferings because it's only in choosing the reproach of Christ that you can truly know Christ. Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples in Luke chapter nine, he says to them, and he said to all of them, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? What would Moses have lost if he had stayed inside the gates? What would Moses have missed out on if he had stayed inside the gates? What if Moses had chosen comfort? What if Moses had chosen not to align himself with the people of God? What if Moses had not chosen the reproach of Christ? What if Moses had not chosen to go and face his his past? If Moses had tried to save his own life, he would have missed out on everything. But from the moment he stepped beyond the gates... He stepped into a life that he could not begin to imagine or describe. It was beyond the gates where miracles would occur. It was beyond the gates that God would deliver his people. It was beyond the gates that he would lead them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was beyond the gates that he would split the sea so they could walk right through it. It was beyond the gates that he would provide manna from heaven from them that would be on the ground every morning. It was beyond the gates that he would give them water from the rock. It was beyond the gates that he would lead them to the mountain and say, listen, I brought you here and though the whole earth was mine, I've made you my treasured possession. I will rescue you. I will give you a future. I will put my presence over your life every day of your life. If you will but follow me, it was beyond the gates where we discover the miracles of God. And it's in choosing to go beyond the gates and be associated with the cross of Jesus that you then have the opportunity to experience the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection power that will set you free. Resurrection power that will demolish strongholds in your life, that will remove shame in your life, that will infuse your life with a supernatural power of God. It will expand your faith. It will expand your relationships. It will expand your capacity to give love and mercy. It will expand your ability to have a life worth living. It's resurrection power that we find beyond the gates. And if you will live a life aligned with the cross of Christ, 
you will discover that resurrection power in your life, that resurrection power that allows you to move from strength to strength, that resurrection power that the spirit of God wants to give you so that you can live with that every single day. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every single one of us, but it's beyond the gates. And then Peter, in a way that only he could say it, Second Peter chapter one, he says, and then one day, God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is calling us out beyond the gates that we may know him, that we may know the power of his resurrection and that we may know him forever and forever and forevermore because one day God will demolish all the gates and fling them all the way open for his children. But he wants you to live beyond the gates even now. So what does God want for you? He wants Exodus. He wants to draw you out so that he can draw you in. He, he wants to draw you out from whatever it may be that's enslaving you. He wants to rescue you from sin. He wants to rescue your marriage. He wants to rescue you from strongholds, from addiction. He wants to rescue you from ordinary. And he wants you to experience a life found only in him. He's come that you might have life to the full resurrection life, but it's only available beyond the gates. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wanna invite anyone in this room who's not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to take just a moment with me. And I wanna pray a, kind of a sample prayer, but I want you in your own words. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to understand that he was led outside the city. He was led beyond the gates to die on the cross for your sins. And also outside, He's risen from the dead for you today. In your own words, if you would pray to put your faith and trust in him, would you just pray, God, I come before you today, being pulled on today by something inside of me that I wasn't expecting. But God, today I know I've made mistakes. I know that I've sinned. I haven't done things perfectly but I also acknowledge that Jesus has died for those sins, that he's paid the price so that I can walk free. I don't have to be guilty anymore. I don't have to feel shame anymore because no matter what my darkness has been, God, you've shown light. Receive that today. Put my faith in the resurrection of Jesus. God, help me to live life completely different from here on out. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. 
couple of options for you. One, you could come down and speak to one of our prayer team members on either side of the stage afterwards. They're, they're prayed up, they're ready for you. If you're watching online, you've prayed to receive Christ just now, would you let us know? Would you contact us? You can send it to info at westridge.com. Put it on the Facebook page even now. We wanna follow up with you. If you're here in the room, you wanna go to the help center immediately following the service and take the opportunity there to let us know that you put your faith in Christ today. We wanna help, help you get started with him. With heads bowed and eyes closed for everyone else in this room, what does Exodus mean for you today? What does it mean today that God wants to draw you out so that he can draw you in? Is your marriage not what you hoped it would be? Is the life that you're trying to live for God not what you hoped it would be? Are you struggling with sin? Is there something that's just got a hold of you? It's holding you back, leaving you entrapped. Today, if you'll confess that, you can receive the forgiveness of God. He's inviting you out beyond the gates. If you're here in this room as a believer and you haven't really taken hold of life that's truly life, there's something that's kind of nagging at you because you know the spirit of God has been prompting you to, to take a leap, to make a step, to have a conversation to do something in obedience that would be for you leaving comfortable and jumping out into the unknown with God. Today, God is calling you out again beyond the gates and saying there's miracles out here. There's resurrection life out here. Don't enjoy the ordinary so much that you miss out on the extraordinary. God wants to expand your faith today your capacity to love, your capacity to obey him. He's calling you out beyond the gates. So spirit of God, speak to everyone today. I can't do that. So if there's something in the head or the heart of a man or woman or student or child in this room. It's not from me, God, it's from you. And so God, we acknowledge that you are infinite and almighty and unique with every single one of us and how you work in our lives. And so God, I pray that if the people of God in this room are being prompted to come beyond the gates, that they would do that. God, if someone here today needs to surrender so that they can be rescued, so that their marriage can be saved, would they have confidence that you want to do that? God, if someone in this room has been given a challenge by you to take hold of life and be a part of expanding your kingdom with an act of faith and an act of obedience. God, may we do that.
God, thank you for inviting us to life beyond the gates. May we accept it and take hold of that today like never before. In the name of our resurrected King, we pray. Amen.